Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We'll rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of the direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched All I Want for Christmas. for Christmas tells the story of siblings Ethan and Haley, whose parents have been divorced for about a year. Their dad is obsessively working at his new diner, and their mom is trying to move on with a new boyfriend. In order to bring their family back together, Haley goes to the mall to ask Santa to reunite their parents. Screenplay by Tom Eberhardt and Richard Kramer, directed by Robert Lieberman, and released on November 8th, 1991. Have you seen All I Want for Christmas before? Yeah, I've seen this movie a lot. Really? Um, yeah, I thought I told you. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh. Uh, wow, okay. Once was, spoiler, once it was enough for uh, me. <laughs> I mean, okay, imagine watching this at 11, 12. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a Christmas movie, and I don't... I'm, I've never been into like seasonal movies and you know watching. I mean, yeah, I'm not really, but I resonated with this movie. Okay, I'll, I'll let you expand on that if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I know the I know our our thoughts are gonna be different probably. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a level of relatability that some people will have that, that others will not. Uh, but I don't think that's exclusive to just divorced parents versus not divorced parents. Because these kids, I don't know, these kids are in a very rich family. Right. In a very big city of New York, and they're allowed to do basically whatever they want to do at any given time. You know, it's like... I don't know, it's, I kind of recognize that from, you know, the 80s and 90s of just being able to go off to the mall on my own. Yeah, no, like that, I I kind of, like, identified with that, too. I mean, just like that latchkey child, it's just like, oh, what, I mean, because even, like, the grandma, or. There's a lot of characters in here who you don't know who the hell they are. Oh, I I know who, who was who. Okay. Who was Andrea Martin's character? She was like their, uh, she seemed to be like their nanny slash cook, but then they also had the other woman who was also like That's what the I'm caretaker. Saying. I think the other They had one... like a maid, and then yeah, they also think... had Andrea Martin who like maybe was like a live-in tutor or something. Well, because like... she was trying to teach at least um, Ethan Spanish. And like trying to teach someone else piano, but they, my point is they never explain I mean, they're, like, a rich, affluent family. I assumed the older woman was, like, the maid slash... Um, like, a personal assistant to that grandma, sort of. Yeah. And then Olivia was kind of, like, the cook slash nanny slash everything else. 
Like they needed two people. To <laughs> right. For these, for these two three kids. people who are in the house, or I guess four people that are in the house. Yeah, I'm just saying that. I mean, I I do not identify with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just identified with like being a child of divorce. Sure. But like being and, sort of left alone to your own yeah, devices. and then I had identified with this movie when I was young. Okay, I, I mean I understand. That. Minus being from a super rich family. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but and then and, and also you lived in a bigger city at the time. Yeah, I live in a big city. I live much. in a big city. I grew up in a big city, and around. I mean, I also like kind of came and went. Like I was surprised. Like I mean, I didn't go all the way downtown and like went to go see Santa alone mm-hmm. at like the age of eight. I was able to just go to my friend's house and stay or like be out in the neighborhood all day long and then just come home when it was dark. Yeah, that was basically, I mean, I had that too around the neighborhood and we lived, you know, pretty close to a mall. So I would go to the mall like all the time. I could just walk there. Yeah, and then it seems like that's what they did with their parents. But I mean, yeah, except I I wouldn't have done it alone as like a, you know, first grader like uh, Haley did yeah i mean as a first grader i would be like too afraid to there's things that the movie does well and there's things that they don't do very well i think sort of embodying that time for childhood i think they did pretty well and i also liked how the relationship between the brother and sister was handled in that you know Haley was i don't know how much younger i don't know if they ever said how old ethan i mean was in this she so was she first grade yeah they said yeah they said that she was like seven years old and i think they said first grade classes okay i thought she was like seven or eight he seemed like he was maybe first grade so that would work yeah yeah so and i think he was like probably like between fifth and seventh grade so they had a cotillion which was a very common thing you know, amongst like, rich amongst people, these rich it people. Is. So I mean, it like, is. I don't know, like, what age a cotillion might happen. I thought that was high middle, school. Middle so school that's why I was age. like, oh, is he a freshman? Like, is he thir- fourteen? Maybe I don't, I don't know. think so. Just based off of the other kids mm-hmm. who were around him, because like, didn't seem like anybody had really hit puberty. So yet, like seventh, so. seventh grade. Yeah, like max. I obviously have not seen it. Um, so I came into it with a completely unusual perspective. I get. I, <laughs> There's a there's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that just doesn't quite work for me, and I think right at the start when we're introduced, like Haley, who I guess we should probably say who these people are, played by Thora Birch. Yeah, in one of and her I think she's actually really well. I think roles. both her and Ethan were, were like really good. Yeah, I think honestly, pretty much all of the child actors were were fantastic in this. Right. Um, but yeah, Thora Birch, I think. Her character, the way it was written, turned me off at the start, but then I just kind of grew accustomed to it and like, oh my gosh, she's doing an amazing job with what she's been given because she's basically written like an adult in a child's body. Yeah. And then she's much yeah. older and wiser and, you know, like she's talking like a 1930s, you know. That could be because her grandmother <laughs> is, is Lauren Bacall. Is Lauren? Yeah, <laughs> that could be. A, I mean, homage, I yeah, guess. I don't know. <laughs> and I mean, the, we don't like we don't know the reason why the mother father really divorced. Besides, yeah. like them fighting a lot. 
but yeah, they, I, that's a that's a problem for me, I guess. And just then wanting more out of a movie, but yeah, that that was never really established, and then it just like they've been divorced for a whole year. It it seems like or what they said. Yeah, I'm assuming probably like a little bit less than a year because. I mean, if it's been over a year, then this would be their second Christmas with separate lives, and it seemed like this was going to be their first Christmas with, you know, split time with the kids. Oh. But I don't know. They, they say about a year. A year, okay. Um, but yeah, it, that was another thing that Let's was kind say, of... like, divorced last Christmas or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They said, yeah, they divorced, and there's, like, something to do with, like, because the dad opened up the diner he's you know he owns and runs this diner and it like consumed all of his time or something that that was a problem for the mom um they established like kind of early on that the dad is basically an a-hole i'll keep it g-rated since the movie is g <laughs> I don't know. um and you know that he's always late he only thinks of himself in the diner and like he's you right. know super selfish and self-centered and that's how he is presented and that's how he is acting in the beginning and then like after that scene he becomes just like a normal, down to earth, rational guy, guy. Yeah. and and then the mom becomes like the, somewhat opposite. She's the asshole in that. I don't yeah, know. It, and so like I feel like we deserve to know more about the story and the history of why they broke up. Yeah. Like, I want to, I want to be able to root for them both, but and it's tough for me to do that when I don't know. I think... are they both at fault, or is like one person? the a-hole and is now redeeming themselves mm. i want to get them back together like the the kids like do the kids but i want do, yeah. you know i'm coming at it from an adult's rational point of view <laughs> like i want to know the reasoning i want to know like does this actually make sense for the couple and without the history of what happened i don't have that and i it's tougher for me to root for them to get back together yeah, that's, i mean rewatching this i was but it seems as if um the husband, Michael, he didn't want to be part of that hoity-toity lifestyle that Catherine grew up in. Because, you know, Lauren Bacall, who is her mother, her name is Lillian, mm-hmm. the grandmother, she's like a very well to known theater actress I'm assuming she, yeah, she's, she's really some well sort of a star known. most likely Broadway and they live in this like amazing you know the, the typical New York walk up like the graystone <laughs> that's what it looks like the inside is like a mansion it's like I know yeah, the interior like the triple entire quadruple the space of what you would expect yeah the like all the walls are like painted mural like with like it looked like it was I don't know, you're in the Sound of Music or something. It's like Rolling Hills or whatever on the walls. That's how Catherine has lived her whole life, I'm assuming. And then we don't even know what Catherine does. Like, is she just like a socialite, whatever? Yeah, I'm not sure. Anytime we ever really see her... She's like always going to like... She's always going to, yeah, the theater. The theater or the ballet. as an audience member, not as like an actor or as a worker. Right. She's just going with Tony, the new boyfriend, uh, played by Kevin Nealon in this... Right, and he's like this Wall Street guy. And yeah, he's, he's some rich dude too. And so they're just off doing socialite type of events. Right. So this is, you know, a 
typical affluent yeah family stuff and i think the father michael was not into that it's most likely true and yeah i don't know if that was like he just didn't want to be a part of that circle or whatever it could be i mean i just wish that we didn't have to put the pieces together i know and there's like certain parts you know like when he <clears throat> when she comes in and visits the diner for basically like the first time after it's opened and she's walking around and he's talking about how he stole or you know like ransacked this closed place for all the decorations and the menu and it seemed like it was like one of their favorite places to go eat mm-hmm. and he's you know that place is closed now she's like oh it's closed like yeah but i took all the decorations and whatever and like incorporated them into the diner mm-hmm. there's clearly a backstory there but we don't get the full backstory backstory yeah. we're just getting like these tiny little snippets and we're forced to piece them together ourselves and i wish there was more maybe there was in a longer version or something and they cut it down because it's a kids movie and like who really cares yeah i mean yeah the because when i was a kid i I was like i don't care what the parents did i just want to see the kids it's like this is like the parent trap which i have honestly never seen any version i know the general (laughs) idea of it but i've never seen any version. it's just you know it's all about the kids trying to get their parents together and then scheming and coming up with this whole I don't know. I yeah. don't want to say adventure <laughs> because yeah, it's so not really. It's just they come up with these random pranks and yeah, he, yeah, and then Ethan has a making has a, them fall in love with each other. He has a definitive plan to get them to be together in the same room, which he believes yeah. will allow his dad Michael to like if they can just you know talk, talk things it out, out. And, and confess things to Catherine and because I guess they just seem to always bicker and fight when they are. Right. In the same room. Yeah. And he wants them to have, like, a, a civil com- conversation or whatever. Yeah, so it takes a while for it to get to that point, but at some point, yeah, Ethan basically just hatches his plan, and then it's a matter of putting these pieces together. And again, we as the audience are not really let in on what the plan is. They don't outline it ahead of time. We just start to see the pieces unravel as they go. Mm-hmm. I'm more okay with that. Yeah. Because, you know... All we know is, oh, he's calling up the the tow truck company to say that there is a car that's, you know, been abandoned, there and yeah. abandoned and needs to be towed. I assumed it was going to be the dad's car because it, they said it was going to be out in front of the diner. Oh, well, you know, and I the knew dad it was going to be... Well, of course you did because you've seen it a few times. <laughs> but, like, you know, as a fresh viewer, <laughs> okay. as a fresh viewer, I assumed, like, Oh, the dad's gonna get towed, and then he's gonna have to call on the mom or something to get picked up, or you know, something like that was gonna happen. Oh. But then you get to see it unravel, and it's like, oh, okay. So it's like you know, like you get to see the chess moves, mm-hmm. um, sort of like a before and after, and I appreciated that aspect of it. So it's not like, it's not like Home Alone hijinks where it's like goofy, quirky, funny. It's more right. almost like a planning like a murder mystery in a sense where you know you're thinking like multiple steps ahead to right. do this and cr- or this pull like off 13 a bank year old boy thought of this yeah like, and all these within things a have day. to <laughs> and it's interesting how all these different things had to happen in a very certain way in order right. for it to actually work and you know phone calls had to happen at a specific it's time it's like watching you know knives stuff. out or something i don't <laughs> right. know yes. I don't. Yes. <laughs> it's like oh this is gonna happen now so that was that was really interesting to see that happen. It took a long time for that part of the movie to happen. But um, 
that was probably the more entertaining aspect when it started to get a little more frantic and they're running around and all these characters are coming in and out to play their parts and whatnot. But before we even get there, there's, you know, multiple side plots and multiple side stories. Like, um, Ethan, who, uh, again, we haven't said the name, <laughs> well, played by, played by Ethan. Ethan Embry, credited as Ethan Randall, so this time, uh, we'll see him again in the 1991 movies Dutch, Bad Attitudes, and also he has a role in Defending Your Life. Uh, probably know him more for, like, Empire Records or... I know him from Calorie Wait, which I've seen a million times. Right. Uh, Vegas Vacation. Currently, Grace and Frankie. He has, like, this love story thing going on with uh, Stephanie. Yes. Who is the daughter of Susan, who knows the month? I, like, I don't understand that relationship either. Who is Susan to Catherine? Is I, it just a I friend? I assume they were just friends. Okay. Like, Catherine and Susan are also probably from both affluent families and they probably because you know we established that susan is also recently divorced yes and so, so they're off to boston most of the time yeah they along with the daughter yeah she susan and her moved to boston but then sometimes come down to new york for whatever mm-hmm. like that's not really yeah established because like, it's like holiday time or something so i guess they're here to spend time with family in new york but she yeah. said uh, Stephanie was saying that she was in Boston because of school and she was already enrolled in school. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she was planning on, like, maybe the mom, Susan, moved to New York and Stephanie lives with her dad in Boston. Is that what it was? I think that's what it was. And so she's basically, like, waiting until she's done with school and then she can be in New York full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, so they both, like, Ethan and Stephanie, I mean, you can see right away that they, like, he has a crush on her, like, instantly or whatever. Oh, yeah, they have a lot of shots across the room of them looking and flirting and smiling and stuff. Right, and she seems to be older. Like, she seems to be, like, 15 She does look older, yeah. Like, she's already in high school. She had already been a tour cotillion, if that makes sense. So she's probably, like, a year older than him, maybe. Yes, possibly. Uh, Played by Amy Oberer. Oberer? It's really her only major role. She had mm-hmm. a few minor roles besides this, which is surprising. I mean, she seemed... I mean, all the child actors are good. Yes. <laughs> I liked her. Yes, all the child actors are, are good. And she has, like... Stephanie has, like, this strained relationship with her mom. Like, she feels like her mom doesn't care about her. Mm-hmm. Which, again, isn't fully established, but there's, right. like, a couple lines sprinkled in where you kind of have to pick up like, on that. Like, she just comes to new york and her mom is just always out kind of doing the same thing that Catherine's doing like always going to like a play or mm-hmm. some sort of high society event because mm-hmm. even the grandmother lillian has this i'm assuming like christmas party at her, her house for all her like broadway friends i guess yeah, I guess so. It that was such a weird thing too. And that's how like Catherine and Susan met up again. She's like, "Oh, Susan, good to see you." Blah blah blah. That scene was kind of weird, just from the Ethan and Stephanie standpoint, because you know they're smiling at each other from across the room, and then he was gonna go sit down, and the chair breaks, and Tony's like, "Oh yeah, that chair's broken." He's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, thanks for telling me." And then you cut to the museum, 
and evidently Ethan never talked to Stephanie the whole rest of the night because he was like trying to find he's a way to introduce himself to her. He's probably like too embarrassed. I guess, but I don't know. It's just it was weird to have that the cut transition. Yeah. yeah, and it just goes like right well, to this museum think, where they're both you know, alone in the museum. Right, because I think Stephanie, because Stephanie, when Stephanie was talking with her mom Susan with Catherine. Stephanie was saying that, oh, I want to check out some museums while I'm here. And I think that Ethan overheard that. But she doesn't... knew the right one to go yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, like, there's, like... <laughs> and what time? Tons of museums in, in New York. I'm assuming yeah. it was, like, the Met or something, because it was pretty huge. And It was huge, yeah. And, I mean, they're in the Upper East Side, so the Met is, like, Upper East Side. So the, I'm assuming it's the Met. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. Like, he did Like, how did he know the time and, like, and actual floor, day? Yeah. yeah. And then the Met is, like, extremely huge. You, you can be on one end and never see, like, someone on the other end. I don't know. But whatever. I mean, he was walking around kind of waiting for her to appear, and she does. And then he's trying to, like, psych himself up and be, like, coming up with some speech like oh hey funny bumping into you here yeah, type of thing just trying to rehearse what to right. say and do and whatnot it doesn't go well because he's an awkward kid right and everything and then they get to talking and you know hit it off and right they i mean i think they just both you know have a lot of common because they both have divorced parents and that's kind of how they started to bond and also over the art, of course. Oh, yeah. Yes. The Jackson Pollock that... Number 20. <laughs> which, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you have that storyline going on. You also have the whole thing with Catherine and Tony, which I think they probably spent a little bit too much time on. I don't know. It was weird seeing Kevin Nealon in this role because it doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't seem like he fits into that whole lifestyle. Like Wall Street yeah type of guy he doesn't give off that vibe to me of you know this snooty but he didn't really seem snooty until maybe later when the movie yeah the very end is when he like really he kind of like snapped but i think he was just trying really hard to with catherine like it's obvious that she's like out of his league i don't know well, yeah, clearly. Um, and it's, it's and it's also obvious that her mom hates him. Yes. But she just kind of tolerates him. But, like, no one like Like, the kids... I mean, Ethan, he's, like, whatever about it. But you can tell that uh, Hallie doesn't like him because she's, you know, annoying him all the time. Which, yeah. I mean, I understand that. Oh, absolutely. I think, it, yeah, just... it. He did not give off the right vibe for me. Um, and then also just seeing somebody from SNL in a movie that's supposed to be a comedy and he's given like he's zero like the lines. least comedic person yeah <laughs> his 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 line if anything is just reacting to stuff that the kids do or you know trying to shiver and be cold inside the ice cream truck mm-hmm. you know there's not much for him to do or say which is I don't know it seemed like they just wanted to have another, you know, known comedic personality on top of uh, Leslie Nielsen, who plays Santa. Yeah. 
and he barely appears in the movie too, which is a little weird when you look at the box art of this thing. Because, yeah, he's on the cover. He's on the cover, and it, like, it gives off a Home Alone type of a vibe because he's hung upside right. down, wrapped in garland, and with the tagline of how far... You only see him like three times in the movie. Yeah. So the tagline is, how far would you go to mis- make a wish come true? And they have like Santa basically kidnapped and hung upside down. You yeah, make it seem it like that's going to be... It's like, I mean, it probably was trying to give that Home Alone vibe because Home Alone, you know, did so well the year before this. Yeah. So they're like, let's do another Christmas movie. But I mean, they that's, but it's nothing like Home Alone. So. No, it's, <laughs> and it's nothing like that box art. Yeah. Either like nothing, and Leslie Nielsen, he's there, he says yeah. lines. <laughs> but he's basically just like he's in the mall a couple times to you know as Santa yeah to be Santa to kids and then you know Haley comes up or Hallie comes up and says you know oh I want my mom and dad to get back together and he's like oh that's a pretty tall order mm-hmm. and then he shows up at the end to sort of whatever big reveal I mean but those parts made my eyes roll like that you had to assume some magical mysticism, right? I don't like that. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's every Christmas. But I movie. understand. I understand, but I don't like stuff like that. <laughs> I think that's every Christmas movie except for A Christmas Story, probably. Yeah, which I In mean, that's Black like Christmas. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's like my favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. Yeah. I it's... mean, I don't like magical i mean i like this movie but i don't like when it gets into that whole oh is santa real whatever and is he actually real because there's like like the parts where they're playing in the snow and then all of a sudden they look at the sky and like you don't see like santa in the sky but you see their like colors on their faces as if like his sleigh went right by them Mm mm-hmm and then at the very end, where he just knocks on their door and he's like, "Here's your mouse that you lost." Yeah. I was like, "Okay, I don't, I don't like it. Those, <laughs> those I don't, those things I don't like." Not as a an adult. Maybe when I was younger. I mean, even when I was younger, I was like, "Whatever." All I cared about was like, the kids getting their parents back together. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with it because I know that that's sort of what's expected in a lot of Christmas movies. Um, I understand not being fine with it because it is exactly what you would expect in a Christmas movie. I think where it maybe helps a little bit is that we don't see Santa, you know, like sprinkle any magic dust or anything, right? You just see him in the mall and then the kids tease him and that one little kid walks by and he's like, oh, you're one of Santa's elves, aren't you? And then that turns out to be true, right? So it's like this, so you can like have this, is it fate or is it, you know... Is it, I you know, his just, destiny is like, I mean, is he working, yeah. <laughs> like, was it really his plan or was it Santa's and like, you know, how Santa's magic could be interpreted in different ways, that part is okay for me. Yeah, I'm, it, the real Santa Claus is Ethan doing all this. Right. But he... Yeah, Santa's powers are imbued He wanted into... it for himself as well, like secretly, he, you know, but he of says course. it at the end. Yeah, he gives a big long monologue at the end. Which, I mean, that kind of made me cry. 
Even the other part that like made me cry, but also I was like, why? It was when he was watching, like, they're. Oh, watching the home He's movies. watching the home movies of his parents, like their wedding and his birth and them on some vacation. He's like watching and crying and, you know, because their parents are in love and that. But I was like, who. What kid watches their parents? <laughs> I was like, who watches their parents' home movies? Um, I don't know. If that's what you have for, like, memories. For, I understand that. Like, if you don't have pictures, but you have videos, then watch the videos. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can understand that. I used to, like, flip through photo albums all the time. And, you know, I didn't come from a yeah, house photo, of divorce. Yeah. So I just, you know, flip through photo albums I like watch. Yeah, I like seeing older photos. But I'm so, not going to pop in a VHS and be like, oh, let's watch my parents' wedding. And then I was like, who has all these home movies of themselves doing random shit? Rich people. I, I was just like, this is... And then now all those VHS tapes are like... I mean, now it's all and, done on a phone, but yeah, back then. But I'm just yeah. thinking of all those VHS tapes filled of random home movies. Yeah. From the 80s and 90s. They're, they're everywhere. Now that, like, the found footage guys own. Yeah. <laughs> found footage festival guys and yeah. all kinds of other people are trying to unearth them and whatnot, so... A lot of a lot of history is in thrift stores waiting to be found. I mean, it's I would I mean if I found one now I'd be fascinated by it. Definitely. <laughs> Just seeing people's lives, but I, I'm not like if we I would never I was like I don't want a wedding video of us like I want I don't want to <laughs> look at us get married okay. like it's already in my head sure. of what happened. I don't know. It's like not oh, all the details. Yeah. Yes. I understand what you mean, but I mean, I, I'm I'm of the nostalgic type of persuasion where yeah, I would just go through like photo albums. Looking through photos and... is fine, but like watching a like one hour video of someone's wedding, I'm like this is boring. Fast forward to the good parts, yeah. To like people dancing and yeah, making idiots of themselves. Or, <laughs> That's yeah. about it. Or I mean, if. I, I don't know if this happened at our wedding or not, but like if people were like were you know giving us congratulation like messages and stuff, and you're like, hey, I just want to say thank you, blah blah blah. Like I uh, watched that. I wouldn't, cause I. Eh. I'd at least want to see it one time, cause I don't think we ever did. I, <laughs> if, uh, if the footage exists. I don't even. I don't even so, know, and it's. it's we're going like, on a weird tangent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I would watch it once and be like, okay, it's in my head now, and I don't yeah. need to watch it. Yeah, but I don't want to watch it. Like, it Unless there's like, like a super funny one or something. I don't know. I don't want to watch it again. I don't know. Okay, I mean, Jeez. it's like these people Ooh. who watch their wedding videos like on their anniversaries. It's like you'll, you'll watch All I Want for Christmas like 30 times, but you don't want to watch Because it was on. Wedding. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to watch us like getting married. Let's just get back to the movie. All right. This is such a weird tangent that we're going on. What else is there to talk about with this movie, though? Okay, so let's... Um, can we talk about the opening scene? How about we talk about the opening scene where there's, like, a church choir? Okay, well... And, like, why was that a thing in the movie other than just to show that he's in, like, a private school, I guess? Yeah, I and, guess. And, like, Ethan's, like, running. He's, like, super late to join this... Choir. choir and so he's like running through the halls and he just makes it up to sing his part like just in time like knocking over the conductor person whatever is i think just to show is. him it 
seems as if he was he's sort of like bullied because when he is in the Macy's, I'm assuming. It could be. With his, yeah. his sister, you know, he sees two of his classmates and he's like, oh shit, you know. Like, yeah, he's like super embarrassed to be seen by taking his little sister to see Santa. Which, well, because then they're like, we saw you standing in that line to go see Santa. Which he could have easily just said, yeah, my sister wanted to see Santa. I was there to... Yeah, he could have said that, but he was like, no. Yeah. I don't That was like weird. But then that was the only part where he interacted with these, quote, bullies. Yeah, and then there's this one part where you passed off the girl at the cotillion to his rival, Kevin Mars. Right. Which we learned the, the full name, Kevin Mars, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you don't know his actual friend Marshall's last name? <laughs> no, we don't know Marshall, who is much more recognizable to me as an right. actor um, than Kevin Mars was. Uh, Marshall was Patrick Lebrec. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. He has not done a whole lot since, like, 1996 was his last role in Lawnmower Man 2. Oh, wow. Uh, but he was in Beethoven and Rookie of the Year, which is probably where I know him most. Uh, and then Cap- Camp Nowhere and Heavyweights. And he'll also be seen again in 1991, Backfield in Motion with uh, Roseanne Arnold. Uh, and he was also in one episode of Dark Souls Class, which we've talked about in the past as well. So, very recognizable yeah. uh, child actor of the era. But I guess he left the business at some point. Um, and very close to a Game Boy sighting because he got a Power Glove for Christmas. Right. I cool. mean, this is the second movie with a Power Glove. Well, first with a real one. Real one, but... Because Freddy's dad had the super fake one. Yeah, fake one. But he says, I have the power... Whatever. Yeah, now you're playing with power. <laughs> yeah, he says the... the tagline for yeah. the Power Glove. Which this is, I they... think, a real power glove that Marshall. Right. Uh, but yeah, Marshall's there to help with the plan and like help buy mice, which is he's kind of a like weird relo- he's key like pulled in and he's like ways. whatever about it. He's yeah. like, yeah, I guess I'll go along. Like I don't. And then he gets like whatever. caught in a lie, and he's like, you know what? I was just told to go along with this thing. <laughs> that would have been me. Like <laughs> yeah. if my friend was doing this, I'd be like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of lying for <laughs> yeah. this person, and I don't know <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't know where they are. I, I, I give up. Because they'd be like, you know, the parents call and they're like, hey, Marshall, where's Ethan? He's like, uh. Like, he's just. Because he's like supposed he's to like, stay in his not, house on yeah, Christmas Eve. Uh, to, for Chris, Christmas Eve Christmas to Christmas, Eve to Christmas Day. Christmas Day, overnight. I mean, the whole part with him is funny because the parts where he's talking with Ethan on the phone in the background, it's yeah. like his grandmother passed out or something just passed out from like the eggnog or something <laughs> and you just hear his parents fighting over like i was like why didn't they just call an ambulance to get the grandma instead of mm. saying what why did the grandma pass out for like 10 minutes yeah. going back and forth saying what did you do what did you do to grandma mm-hmm. and i don't then, know but it was the it was funniest funny. scene in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm okay And he with was it. like, when you're done getting your parents back together, can you split mine up? Oh, yeah. That was funny. So that, that was a good time. I mean, there's a couple of decent scenes. Nothing is super, super funny to me, though. There's definitely... It's trying to be funny. I think especially with, like, Haley's dialogue where she is acting as if she's 50 years old or she speaks like she's you know, an old woman. Um, I think that's supposed to be funnier than it is. 
Yeah, just this little precocious girl trying to act like she's very adult-like. Yeah. Which, I mean, a lot of, you see a lot of TV shows like that now where it's like the young girl is, I don't want to say old soul, but what, something like that. That is basically the trope of it, so I think that's fair. I I think the other thing that hurts the movie for me is that there's really a noticeable lack of music in this thing. You have the one song. Well, you have the one song, but I mean, like, which virtually during the entire on the radio because I remember that song. Oh, I'm not talking about the end credits. I'm talking about while stuff is happening in the movie. The score. Yeah, there's virtually no score, and so you have these heartwarming moments where the mom is, you know, trying to be with Hallie, who's pretending to be sick, and then goes to the couch with her husband or ex-husband, and then. You know, they're doing, meanwhile, Ethan and Stephanie are downstairs at the diner having this connection, and it's just dead silence. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted something. I would have much preferred, like, a cartoony score, like what we see in some of these other movies, like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dad or something like that, then, you know, give me a Newman score oh, okay. o- over dead silence during these key moments. It just made it fall flat and, you know, made it a little more boring, actually. Even... You know, the adventurous stuff with the ice cream truck and, you know, Tony's car getting towed and everything. Right. Virtually no music under all that stuff. It's just, it's weird and it's noticeable to me. It made it feel a little bit more lifeless. Uh, but all said and done, it was relatively enjoyable. There's a lot of stuff that just did not make sense. Like, again, I don't understand why Andrea Martin's character, Olivia, exists in this story at all she's pregnant besides which is... to give a give birth on christmas day in their kitchen I, but like why is that a thing like why is that a plot point you know like what came of it nothing i don't know <laughs> i don't know like they saw the kids come back from the diner to their house and they see the ambulance out front and they get scared. They by... assume it, it's for them. They're like, oh, shit, mom called the cops or whatever because we're missing. I don't know. That's what... But two seconds later, it doesn't matter anymore. Is my... You know, so it doesn't... Well, because then they're like, oh, Olivia's having her baby. And then Hallie's like, can I take pictures? And they're like, no. But then that was it. Yeah. Because then that's it's... when Michael comes in and they have their reconciliation between the whole family, you know, Catherine and Michael, they profess their love for each other, they kiss, and then yeah, there's a big... Ethan and Hallie are happy. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Yeah, there's, there's this, like, this big uh, moonstruck-like convergence at the end where everyone just, like, yeah. converges into the house and it's like every, things, yeah, cause and, like, that, everything wraps up in a nice That's, like, the, when they make this plan where Hallie is supposed to be spending the night with her dad and then you know Catherine's supposed to go to the ballet I don't know somewhere yeah there's something that happens with Tony yeah Christmas yeah they're supposed to get married well they're gonna get engaged or something like that I don't know like they're celebrating that Yes. And then, um... It's not really clear if there was ever a proposal or if he's... Or yeah, if she was just, just saying, like... Well, I'm gonna marry Tony, whether you like it or not. Yeah, maybe he did pr- propose to her prior to this movie starting. I don't know. Yeah. Or they were talking about it. But whatever. So, you know, Catherine 
feels like she stood up because Tony didn't meet up with her to wherever the hell they were going to go. And uh, so, but then Hallie fakes being sick. So she, you know, Catherine stays there with Hallie and spends the night over at her ex-husband's loft and tries to sleep in the same bed with Hallie. But Hallie's like, you know, pushing her out of the bed. And that's when she goes to the couch and Michael's already sleeping on the couch and she sleeps next to him on the couch and I was like doesn't he have a bed <laughs> and then the next morning yeah, his loft looks like something you'd see in like the movie Big yeah Big it's he even has like games in there mm-hmm. well at least you see for the kid. Like, he has a pinball machine yeah he has a pinball machine for mostly for the kids yeah. maybe but I mean if it was me it'd be for me so who knows yeah and then the next morning, Tony calls Michael's house. And I was like, how did Tony know to call? Like, how did Tony know that Catherine was there? Unless he called at her house and then her mom was like, but how did her mom know that Catherine? Like, I was right, just like. because the mom was in a hotel because of the mice. Yeah. That's why I was like, how did and he thought, and, call and, and Michael's place? Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? It's all... And knew knows. that Catherine was there. So, I don't... Whatever. That that was another thing. I was like, mm, alright, whatever. But then he arrives at their house, like, at the very end when Ethan's, like, giving his, like, sad monologue. And he's like, you're bratty kids. You... you blah 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 it's like yeah, the second lessons, yeah. like the second we get married they're gonna go to like military school or some <laughs> shit i don't know yeah, or they're gonna said, yeah they're gonna learn some respect yeah they're gonna learn how to respect and then that she was like instantly turned off with like she's like this is a family affair get out of my house and he just leaves <laughs> and i was like okay so know. that was that that makes sense i'm cool with that <laughs> but he was just like i don't know he he was probably like beyond pissed where he was like I didn't even want like I don't even want to get married to you either because of your kids who I think are kind of annoying or yeah shitty yeah it was fine <laughs> I, I had no problem with that part <laughs> I had no problem with that part and then Santa comes so it's okay and then Santa comes and gives Snowball back to Hallie Snowball the mouse the favorite of the mice that they yeah. use as part of their their plan, plan. Yeah. To get everyone out of the house. Very convoluted plan, but it still all makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing super cartoony about it or out of the realm of possibility, uh, but it definitely needed to work in a very specific way in order for it to work. So, and that's about it, right? That's that's yeah. virtually how that movie goes. Um, oh, and then yeah, the title's song comes up. All I want. Which is a just a really sad love song. It doesn't mention Christmas at all. <laughs> it's just like that's yeah, a weird, weird I choice. Rem- I mean, I've heard this song. Well, I know this type of music. I've said before that I worked at a grocery store in the late '90s, early 2000s. So this is the type of music I've heard. Yeah, it's, it's especially easy, it's this easy is probably played not... around on Christmas time because it is it's titled all i want for christmas but it's usually like a sad all i want song and then it's it was produced and written by david foster and i was like oh okay this makes sense 
But is it a because they do not say the word it's Christmas? It's not very. It's it. They do not IMDb say. IMDb says it's, uh, it's all I want for Christmas. Yeah. The movie says all I want. Ah, uh, on the so soundtrack, I I yeah. it says all I want for Christmas. Which is weird because they unless there's another version of it, but they do not say the word Christmas. Because it's there's just no all lyrics I want. that are any holiday related lyrics at right. all. It's all about like someone like being Wanting sad about a, a love that's unfulfilled. Right. Which, so happy that's holidays. That's like a really weird. Your parents are back together, mine are not. I'm gonna sing about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the song is played when Ethan is watching his parents' home movies, mm-hmm. and then it's played again at the end credits. Yeah. That's the only uh, song. But then there was like other random Christmas music after this on in the end credits. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, they had a couple random songs throughout the movie. Like when they first showed the diner, they had Yakety Yak playing because yeah. it's a nineteen fifties themed the diner. diner. Is, yeah. Um, and then you and they're have... trying to make it look like a really fun place to be, and everyone's like all happy and jolly, and that's when I'm like, wait, it's like, I thought yay, we were supposed we're to hate working. the dad. <laughs> yeah, like oh yay, child labor, and I thought I was supposed to hate the dad. <laughs> that's why I was like, hey, do you want to go to the diner so I can work? All right, I love coming to the diner. And like pretending to to be a waitress. I mean, yeah. when I was I younger, I probably would have liked it too. Yeah. Fun. Let's get into some cast and crew stuff, shall we? Yeah. Because there's there's quite a bit that we maybe haven't. We talked never about. even said that like the mom is Harley Jane Kozak. Yeah. So we've seen both <laughs> the mom and the dad before. Harley Jane Kozak. Yeah, who even plays the Catherine, <laughs> who we've seen in Necessary Roughness, she was the professor slash love interest of Scott Bakula there, and I think we covered a lot of her credits at that time. Maybe yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, um, I think. Anyway, she'll be in taking a Beverly Hills as well. So if we still haven't covered her, then we'll talk about her history. Then uh, Jamie Sheridan played the dad, Michael. Uh, we saw him on uh, Talent, for, Talent the for the Game as like the, the owner. Not the owner. He was like the boss that wanted to keep Edward James almost on, on the but team. was also yeah. was like, like backstabbing him. Yeah, he was like the manager of Edward James almost, but also his girlfriend too. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a girlfriend. Edward James almost his girlfriend. What about his girlfriend? Wasn't Jamie his the boss of both of them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were saying, like, Jamie was also his girlfriend. No, like, Jamie no. was the boss of... I forgot the girlfriend's <laughs> name. That's... I forgot. I don't know. That was so long ago. Yeah, it was... It was a, it was a bad movie. It was yeah. A bad movie. But anyway, like... And I think that led to my perception of thinking, oh, he's going to be an asshole. Because here's Jamie Sheridan, who played, like, this secret asshole in Talent for the Game. Mm. And he kind of gives off that vibe. Sorry, Jamie, but your face is kind of, like, you know, slightly villainous. So... Yeah, he kind of... I, I mean, he looks he like he could looks be like typecast that like that. douchebaggy type of guy. I yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, that's that's him. Um, <laughs> we already talked about Ethan Everett. Let's go back and talk about the director, Robert Lieberman. Uh, he also directed another 1991 movie called To Save a Child. Uh, he went on to later do Fire in the Sky and D3, The Mighty Ducks. And he also did one episode of The Young Writers, which we've talked about mm. on this, but that was before 1991. He also did some episodes of Gabriel's Fire. Mm. Uh, he's done The Dead Zone, Dexter, X-Files, and The Expanse. So he's done a lot of TV directing, more so than movies. 
Tom Eberhardt, one of the writers, is a Daytime Emmy winner for a child special called Rats, which I don't know. Um, but he's also the writer and director of things like Night of the Comet and Captain Ron. Um, <laughs> he also wrote or co-wrote Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, uh, Soul Survivor from 1984, which looks like an interesting, weird horror movie. And then also Without a Clue, I think, is also one that might be known to some people who listen to this. Uh, Richard Kramer, the other writer, is a five-time Emmy nominee for Tales of the City, as well as 30-something. He's been involved in as a writer and executive producer for a lot of, like, coming-of-age type of stuff, like 30-something, okay, Queer as Folk, My So-Called Life, I mean, Nashville, cool. all of that stuff is him, so... Um, I think we probably see a little bit of that influence in the, the yeah. formation of the characters here. Thora Birch, as Haley, again, fantastic performance by Thora Birch. Uh, she was on the Parenthood TV show, and she was also on that, do you remember that TV show Day by Day from like the late yeah. 80s? It was like Julia Louis-Dreyfus's like first major role, probably, uh, before Seinfeld and stuff. Uh, that was a decent sitcom that I think had some reruns back in the day. Um, she was on that uh, Thor Birch was also in the 1991 movie Paradise, Hocus Pocus, American Beauty, uh, which she got a BAFTA nomination for, Ghost World, which is probably one of her more notable um, teenage roles, I think, where she got a Golden Globe nomination, and also two MTV movie nominations for that movie. Mm. One for Best Dressed, and one for, like, the Best Line, which I think was, like, we, we graduated high school, hooray for us, or something like that. I didn't write down the actual line. Oh. Uh. I was like, that was she a category had a lot of movie. one-liners in yeah. that movie, so I was like, which? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and then she was also in The Walking Dead for like a half season or a full season. And yeah. Ethan Embry actually was in one episode of The Walking Dead yeah. as well, so uh, brother and sister <laughs> converging there. Um, she has an interesting life. Her parents were adult film actors. Yes. And they were both in the film Deep Throat. She's been around the industry in, in multiple ways. Yeah. She's yeah, been involved in a lot. And I think she's, I mean, I don't know her personally, but I mean, she's maintaining a good career and a good trajectory. She is also an Emmy nominee for uh, a, a, I think I didn't write down the category, Homeless to Harvard, the Liz, Mur the Liz Murray story. So she even has an Emmy nomination to her name. Um, Lauren Bacall we talked about. She's an honorary Oscar winner from 2010. She also was nominated for The Mirror That Has Two Faces. Um, she has a Golden Globe win for that same role. Uh, Emmy nominations for great performances. Rockford Files, applause. She's, you know, you know her from Bogart and Bacall, right? Big Sleep, To Have and To Have Not. Uh, to Have and Have Not, Key Largo, The Shootist, all kinds of different stuff. She was also in another 1991 movie that is not on our list because we cannot find a watchable version of it called A Star for Two. Uh, Leslie Nielsen, we already talked about. We've seen him in Naked Gun Two and a Half, which was our second episode. Um, we will see Leslie Nielsen again one more time on this podcast in a movie called Chance of a Lifetime. Um, and then otherwise, I think uh, there's just a couple little things I want to talk about. We have uh, Sonia, who played the waitress in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Sonia was the waitress in the movie, played by Camille Saviola. She just recently passed away, so I wanted to pay tribute to her briefly. She mm. passed away on October 28th of this year. Wow. Uh, she's going to be in the 1991 movies Shadows and Fog and Queen's Logic. She was also in the Purple Rose of Cairo, Broadway Danny Rose. Um, she was on a few episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which it seems like were very memorable to 
fans. She played Turtle's mom in Entourage, uh, and evidently okay. she was like a, a disco singer and had a band called the Margot Lewis Explosion back in the 70s, which I can't really find much information on, but... Yeah, um, she's in. I'm now. I'm now watching Nip Tuck. So now oh, yeah, I'm she's like, in that too, she's in she? Nip yeah. Tuck, but yeah. like I think in an, one episode. Yeah. So, uh, very short, decent role in this movie. Um, and then I also want to talk about a couple of the kids who are in the choir scene that we talked about briefly because okay. it's really interesting to see like there's like large amount of kids in this movie and who made it and who didn't most of them did not but a couple of them did so Mm. it was really interesting to see that one of them was scott wolf Hmm. of party of five fame and of double dragon fame and white squall and go um we will see him in the 1991 movie called the skid kid (laughs) (laughs) along with other members of the wolf family Uh, Hmm. so it's like a nice little family production um, and also in 1991, he was in one episode of Kids Incorporated. Mm. Uh, Eric Von Detten was another one of those choir kids. Uh, this was his first role. He went on shortly after this to do 167 episodes of Days of Our Lives. Um, and he's done a bunch of Disney stuff. Like he was in Tarzan. He was in Escape to Witch Mountain. And he was also the voice of Sid in Toy Story 1 and 3. So okay, pretty interesting there. And then the biggest one uh, in terms of like, longevity of career i think was a kid named josh keaton credited at this point as josh weiner who played brad i don't remember who brad was he was probably one of the bully kids was he one of the yeah one of the kids that i'll try to was have a the, screenshot like confronted ethan yeah maybe if uh if you're watching this on youtube you'll probably see his picture here if i can find it uh he's done a lot of voice actor work mostly uh, he was in the new kids on the block cartoon he was okay. on the Peter Pan and the Pirates cartoon around like, this he, time. Was he the voices, one of the new kids? I don't think so. I think he probably would have been a little bit or too Or did the new that. kids do their own voices for New Kids on the Block? I don't think they did, no. They were probably, like, too famous. I've seen, like, a, I've I seen like one episode of it, that. and it's really bad. Well, I used to watch <laughs> it because, I mean, New Kids on the Block was my life in yeah. these days. Even for things that are good, you can recognize they're bad cartoons, and I would have stayed away from it. But, um, yeah, he was he was in that, but I don't think he was one of the new kids. I could be wrong, but I didn't didn't notice that didn't recognize any of the names that he was credited towards. He played uh, Jules, one of the kids in the Back to the Future cartoon. You know, one of the mm-hmm. Doc Brown's kids, Jules. Um, video game wise, he's been Ocelot in the Metal Gear Solid series. He was Ryu in the Ninja Gaiden series. He's been Spiral the Dragon. He's played a bunch of superheroes like Cyclops, Human Torch. He's been in, he's been Spider Man. He's been the Flash. He's been Green Lantern, Ant Man, Iron Man, Captain America. He's done a whole bunch of these things for video games and cartoons. So uh, very pro. I, I, I don't know. I'm fascinated by voice acting. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by child actors who go on to do actual stuff in the industry, and so we get a nice combination there. So, Pausing on the credits? Pausing on the credits. Got a lot of child actors to go through on this thing, so that's about it. But yeah, probably the biggest surprise is just seeing like Scott Wolf in there, just as like a random choir member. Yeah. So, uh, awards talk, just a couple minor ones here, uh, both from this organization called the Young Artists. So the Young Artist nomination... Best Actor, Ethan Embry, uh, but he lost to Elijah Wood for the movie Radio Flyer. Oh, uh, well, Radio Flyer is a 
Whatever. That's like the king of movies for me. I don't know. I love Radio Flyer. It's also not a 1991 movie, so there's like a there's a cross year thing for this award show. Um, and then Thora Birch was also nominated for Best Actress, but she lost to Allison Porter for Curly Sue. Oh, okay. So we'll see how that, uh, see how much we agree with that when that time comes. Uh, and that's about all I got. So we go on to true crime and pop culture. Yeah, I mean, true crime-wise, I didn't find anything. There's nothing that's going to be like... This guy got his car towed and was trapped in an ice cream truck. (laughs) Well, I mean, I was like, is there any true to, like, I'm assuming there may be that's, like, true to life. Like, this movie did a couple kids cause their parents to get back together. But I couldn't really find anything like that just by doing, like, a simple Googling thing. Or just saying, like, is there anything? I even looked up stuff, like, for the parent trap, but... I found stuff that was similar to The Parent Trap, but it was mostly be two twin girls who were separated at birth found each other. It's not like their parents got together because of them. And this movie was released on November 8th, 1991, which was like a week after People Under the Stairs was November 1st. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple weeks ago, American Tale was November 22nd. So the music on the charts were pretty much the same. And then I was... All I Want didn't chart? No. Even though it was David Foster, I mean, maybe it was later on in like 1992. So I was looking, instead of doing like the top five, I was like, should I do the five because we never talk because the top five are always like the same 10 to 15 songs now yeah like what's what's new on the chart what's what's the worst of the chart yeah Yeah. what's the the, or what's like been on the charts for like 20 weeks and Mm -hmm. is ending so i was like the bot let's do the bottom five (laughs) songs do we see scott wolf appear here too no (laughs) from this episode of kids incorporated choir kid (laughs) yeah choir kid Singing All I Want yeah. for Christmas. No. And so number 100 was, this is as of November 9th, 1991. Number 100 is Michael Bolton, Time, Love, and Tenderness. Okay. I don't think I even know that song. I may You probably know do it from your yeah, grocery from store working. days. Yeah, I may know this song. Like, if you played it, I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then 99... This is a new song that the first week on the charts num- as number 99, Smokey Robinson, Double Good Everything. Hmm. Also, I don't... Like, no. maybe if you played this, I would know it. And then... It's interesting. A new Smokey Robinson song in 91, though. Yeah. Yeah. 98 was High Fives, I Can't Wait Another Minute. Num- 97 it i've n- i should have looked this up because i was like i don't even know who these people we'll, are we'll have the YouTube i know on the website. <laughs> but usually i like to listen to a song before and be like oh okay i know this or yeah. i like last week where i was like when we found out that crash test dummy oh, crash yeah. test dummy i've never heard that song until mm. last week <laughs> and that's the last time we're gonna hear it yeah 
So uh, number 97 is a song called You're the Story of My Life by Desmond Child. So number 96 was Stevie B's Forevermore, which I may have heard because I know who Stevie B is. 91 for music, it's like... It's all over the place. Yeah, it's really all over the place. And it's a lot of stuff that just does not get mentioned much anymore. No. I mean, this era, I mean, Stevie B, that was like right in the freestyle. Like, the freestyle was still popular around this time. Yeah. TV-wise, not too much difference, but I did find another busted pilot. It's been a while. Mm. On November 8th, 1991, which was a Friday, it was the typical TGIF lineup. It was Family Matters, Step by Step, Perfect Strangers, and then Baby Talk. And then on CBS was a busted pilot called Perfect Crimes. And then what I'm kind of confused by this because when I looked it up on IMDb, they call it a TV movie. And then I looked on our list. I was like, is this on our list? But no, it's not on our list. It's just like a, I think it was just a one, one hour show. And then they put it on a DVD because on IMDb, they have the DVD cover. Okay. Art like on on it yeah so it was probably meant to be a pilot for a show and then they just called it a tv TV movie movie because it only showed the one thing yeah ever and yeah that's and And it's an hour long yeah it's an hour long so nothing on our like nothing on our list is only an hour long yeah over an hour hour. yeah and this also confused me because on the dvd cover it shows brendan frazier peter coyote danny glover and christopher lloyd but this episode that aired, none of those people are on it. Mm. So I'm like... Is it like a mixed match? Like I, they, they pulled the cover from a different thing called Perfect Crime? That's what I was like trying to figure out. But every time I googled Perfect Crimes 1991, that cover came up. And I was wondering, like, did they release this entire... Se- like, it may have been a series. And then, like, did they release the entire series on DVD? That included these actors in it? I don't know. So Perfect Crimes is just a true crime... uh, It should have been a TV show, I guess. About true stories about individuals seeking to commit the perfect crime. But in this episode, it had Lisa Hartman. Hmm. From Bear Essentials. From Bear Essentials, yeah. Instead of Christopher Lloyd from Suburban Commando. Yeah. Also in this episode was Dennis... Fr- it had a lot of people. I was like, well, Dennis Farina, Chris Summer. So it's it's a reenactment show? So that's, these people are reenacting potential perfect crimes? That's what I was... It's just, the only blurb for this is, yeah, true stories about individuals seeking to commit a perfect crime. So they're getting, like, pretty big name people to reenact these... Crimes. Crimes, possibly. Yeah. Weird. Interesting. Maybe we should get the DVD. If anyone has the DVD, let us know. Mm, I mean, if it's like a dollar, sure. But yeah. I don't, don't want to spend like more than one dollar. <laughs> loan it to us and we'll watch it and ship it back and we'll do this episode. Yeah. So that was on CBS. And then after that, 
was the Carol Burnett show, and I tried to look this up. It was not on YouTube, this episode. It had Delta Burke, and it had Tony Roberts, who hmm. was in Popcorn. Hmm. Delta Burke, who we've seen on an SNL episode that we talked about. Yeah. yeah. And then after this, this also confused me. Because <laughs> uh, it's a Friday night, but the and also it's 10 p.m. on a Friday that goes from 10 to 11 but it's called you know it's saturday night with connie chung and i was like was this a repeat of the previous saturday of connie I mean, chung's yeah i guess yeah it could have been that's what when that i makes was... it sound like you know like connie chung's dance party you know what i mean like it's saturday night with connie chung come well, play the biggest you know, hits and talk about i was the trying to floor. look like recently <laughs> you know like when connie chung this is when she like retired or left Remember when she sang on the piano and... No, I don't. So yeah, after that, on Fox was America's Most Wanted. That was on All Night on Fox. On NBC was Matlock, Flesh and Blood, which we've Mm -hmm. talked about before. Dear John, and then Reasonable Doubts, which we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Tough night. Tough night of TV. Oh, you couldn't be watching Perfect Crimes. And probably just fear. would have been doing TGIF stuff, really. Yeah. Uh, probably would not have been watching All I Want for Christmas, since I didn't at the time. I did not see it in the theater, but, I mean, I've watched it on cable. Yeah. Uh, rankings and ratings time. Yeah. On your one to five star scale, where would you put All I Want for Christmas? All right, I'm going to give this a three. Okay, that's high. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think you have a lot I of enjoy this it. movie more than a lot of the movies we've watched. Okay. I enjoy this more than An American Tale, Five of Goes West. Hmm. Uh, where did I rank American Tale Bible Goes West? I don't know, but uh, I know. Because it's probably going to be about the same for me, honestly. Uh, On my zero to four star scale, I'd say it's probably about like a one and a half. It had a lot more potential. I think if the child acting wasn't nearly as strong as it was, it wouldn't be as highly ranked as it was. There's just too many unfinished pieces to this puzzle that, yeah, it as a 40 something year old person watching this kids movie for the first time it didn't quite do it for me it's not going to be a new christmas classic we'll say that um every movie's worth watching once would you watch it again i think you're gonna yeah I would watch yes. this movie. i'm gonna say no i don't need to <laughs> it's not for me again i don't really go for like the annual christmas movie stuff anyway like i you know i don't really like elf even like that's probably controversial thing to say but like elf is fine you know I, like so I, I i will i mean i am not into christmas movies and watching certain things except for a, i will watch a christmas story when it's on you know tnt for the whole 24 hours that i would watch that that's the only christmas movie i watch yeah that yeah i enjoy I, i'm pretty much in the same boat like yeah it's like any other christmas related movie I don't care. I would say maybe like Christmas Vacation would be in there, and we sure you know, we saw It's a Wonderful Life. I would watch that again. 
for sure, but it's not, like, something I'm going to seek out That's not, to watch. like, for some people, that's, like, tradition. Like, I'll watch It's a Wonderful Life, but I'm not going to be like, okay, it's 7 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> the day, or, Time like... pop it in. It's and, like, yeah. yeah, like, let's get the whole family together. It's Christmas Eve, and we have to watch It's a Wonderful Life, or Santa's not going to come, so we better watch this movie. Right. I'm not that type of person. <laughs> I mean, I would watch it, because I know that's another movie that's always on, like, Turner Classic Movies or whatever. Yeah, it's on something. This is not on anything for <laughs> Christmas, I'll I think watch, I understand I why. would even watch that again, because we both watched that movie for the first time last year. Yep. <laughs> like, so, fully. Because I've only seen parts my entire life until last year. So, I mean, I, I understand why this is not on every year. Um, yeah, this. I don't think I'd watch it again because it is very much a Christmas movie, and I'd have to be in the mood to watch a Christmas movie, and I'd rather watch a different one than this. So that's, yeah, that's I would the watch a Christmas no. story over this. Yeah, I'd watch a lot of different ones. There's very few Christmas movies in 1991, so if we have to watch a Christmas movie from 1991 every single year, then this will probably be it. Yeah, because it's because it's the like only one of the one. three or four. <laughs> And I think this is the only one that actually, like, made a lot of money. Yeah, it's the only one that's, like, ranked in box office terms. Yeah. Yeah. But Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 might be better. I would, (laughs) yeah, I would probably watch that. Or, like, I would watch, like, a Christmas horror movie over any Christmas movie. Yeah. (laughs) Black Christmas. Black Christmas, I would watch. Which also has Andrea Martin in it. It's a better Andrea Martin Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, I would watch... That would be my tradition. Like, if I... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would be like, let's gather around the family at 7 p.m. Christmas Eve and watch Black Christmas. Watch Black Christmas. <laughs> That's my tradition. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you out there want to watch All I Want for Christmas, as of this recording in November 2021, it's available as digital rental, VHS, or DVD. Check your local listings. You can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Uh, we're going to take next week off for the holidays. We're coming back in January for the new year and watching New Jack City. That's available as a digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then.